Just before the big interview with Jamie Murray, I'd like to tell you about our social club. By signing up at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter for two ninety nine a month, you can get access to all of Graham's shows in full and ad-free. That includes socio-only big interviews with Ledley King and Rafa van der Vaart and, coming very soon, Robbie Keane. Socios also get Graham's weekly magazine show, The Big Inside View and much more. Head to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Jamie Murray is not only a two-time Wimbledon champion, but the first Murray to win Wimbledon. Hello, Jamie. Andy, sorry, he started it. He's an Australian Open winner and one of the best doubles players in the world. But what about his other sporting achievements? Well, you've come to the right place. In this big interview, Jamie reveals that he once held the world championship belt in wrestling, beating in the final his brother Andy in a ladder match, had there only been cameras there. Jamie is also an exceptional footballer and once gave Brazil international Hulk the full runaround in a game of football tennis. Here, Murray Sr. talks about honing his skills at a park in Dunblane and falling in love with the brand of football played by Sir Alex Ferguson's Manchester United. Hibbs' Scottish Cup final victory in 2016 pops up and our guest also picks his perfect five-a-side team from tennis's ATP Tour. It's not bad. Enjoy this. I don't think, um, Jamie Murray... I've ever spoken to a Wimbledon champion or a US Open champion before. <laughs> in fact, I don't spend a lot of time talking to the tennis world, so given that you're a, a world leader and a Scot, it's a very proud moment for me. And if I took you back to childhood in Dunblane, I set you a challenge. Say, for example, you had to fashion out some kind of belt that signified that you might be world champion, perhaps even in wrestling. Let's say a WWF. Yeah. <laughs> You've been doing your homework. The WWF are in the States. I've just come back to the States. I phoned them and said, listen, Steve Austin, man, I've got Jamie Murray on his couch. Right? And Steve said, listen, I'll tell you what to ask him, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we used, to, uh, we used to be right into the wrestling, me and, uh, me and Andy and, uh, and some of our friends. Yeah, we'd be watching it like every Friday night. Yeah, and we, we went once to, down in, uh, in Newcastle and... Yeah, make up the belts, and we're just with like cardboard and uh, like tin foil and stuff. So wait, wait, wait! This is a full lesson. You're talking to a blue Peter fan yeah. here, okay? So we're talking about actually constructing. It wasn't winning awards on blue Peter, <laughs> I tell you that. But but it looked like a belt. It looked yeah. like a world championship WWF belt, right? Yeah. Done with detail. Done with attention and care. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because you know you want to be proud when you you know you raise it up high. You know, announcing to your to your brother that you're the. You know the new world heavyweight champion. Yes, yes man. I've taken this a good more seriously than yeah. you are. I'm impressed. I think this is cute, us, man. This should go on the CV. Yeah, yeah. If you ever got to go for a straight job, they won't just ask you about the tennis. They'll ask you about arts and crafts. They just will. So, like, the WWF passion came into the house, right? Yeah. So, just describe it a little bit. Well, I mean, we. I mean, we probably watched it for a good, like, five or six years, up until we're maybe, like, 15. If my dad was here, he'd probably be saying 25, but it was about 15, yeah. But it was huge at that time, because you had, like, Stone Cold Steve Austin, you had The Rock, 
Undertaker was was huge. Like you had massive stars, and um, yeah, we were we were right into it. Yeah, and you know we would like all kids. We'd be like practicing the moves on each other, and you know not necessarily doing like um, like power bombs and that sort of <laughs> thing. But you know we get a few moves out and. Uh, yeah, put like the duvets on the floor, pillows, that sort of stuff. To, to make uh, the ring? Yeah, make a ring and just a bit extra padding for when you <laughs> hit the deck. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, we loved it. We were like, we were right into it. Had the, you know, the wrestling games on the Nintendos or, or whatever. Yeah, it was like, it was massive. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I used to just love like the storylines. Like back in those days, it was, um, it was really good, yeah. But nowadays, I think it's changed quite a lot, wrestling, I think. Um, See, this definitely... is what I say about music to my girls, like, nah, I can't hear the words, yeah. like, it's rubbish now, man. They're like, dad, it's always been like this. Yeah. But, so yeah, it was the theatre, partly. Yeah, I just, yeah, I like the storylines, how it was all playing out, and, like, like, The Rock, I mean, he was brilliant TV, I mean, he still is, like, so much charisma, and he was so, like, naturally funny. I mean, Stone Cold as well, like, in his his feuds with Vince McMahon and those guys. I mean, for me, I just loved it. I thought it was, thought it was brilliant. It was just pure entertainment. And for us as kids, like, that was just, that was the best. And I have to tell you, I'm a big brother and like, you know, I generally kind of used height and weight as a kid. Right. How, how did you fare as big brothers? You had an advantage. Did you win all the time? Well, no. no. I mean, we always laugh because like, even if Andy tells his stories, like we, the only belt I would let him win would be the woman's belt. <laughs> but he, he seemed quite happy, you know? <laughs> he was fine. We had like two or three belts. I don't know if we, I don't know if we went that far. I don't know if he deserved the belt for that. But we, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we didn't really like fight, you know, in anger, really. I think we just kind of like, we were both just enjoying it, messing around and, I mean, to be honest, like, one day, you know, I would win, the next day he would win. And, you know, like, thinking back now, just, I mean, this is so silly, isn't it? But, I don't you know, you're on so. the ground and you're, like, you know, you're pinning your brother and it's like, you know, you get the one count, the two count. Of course then, you, you know, do! It's that fun What's the like, point in doing it unless yeah, you're giving yeah. it? Oh, no! <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was fun. Uh, it was a fun childhood. Uh, in our days, it was Kendo Nagasaki. And can you get the mask off? Of course, it was like, yeah, okay, you know, yeah. a ring in Wigan with Dickie Davis waiting on it. It wasn't quite WWE. It didn't have the rock. Right? And the storylines weren't the same, but they, they were good fun for us. And what we had was like tag teams and they would always be the villains and they'd get they'd punch and, you know, it'd be a, a scripted punch, but the crowd would go mad. And you'd, you'd hate the villains, Yeah, man. of course, yeah. You wanted Sinclair to win and Mick McManus or whatever and Big Daddy against Haystack. So... Listen, you know, you're talking to a believer here. <laughs> um, a believer, you know, I would, at that stage I was out trying to earn a living, so I didn't watch them all. But the concept of, what is it, a, is it a ladder match? What, well, I don't know what it is. Yeah, a ladder match, yeah. We had a few of those, yeah. Like those. You watched a few of those? Well, no, we, or, we had our own, yeah. Uh, like, you'd have to climb the, climb the step ladder and then you'd, like, ring the lampshade <laughs> to, you know, to say... To you know, to earn earn the belt, earn the victory, or whatever. Uh, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I guess that's creativity, isn't it? I mean, kids are kids are like that. I mean, it's probably changed nowadays. Everyone's sitting on iPads and that Not sort talking of thing. To yeah, each other, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Listen, you, you you're talking to believe, and also like it begins at any stage. I'm talking about somebody who didn't go on to win Grand Slam titles. You know, we we 
were competitive and rough and tumble was a bit and creativity is for us as kids in the garden all the time making things up you learn competitive skills that don't need to take you to, to world titles you learn competitive skills doing that in play yeah. that will serve you in social situations or you know work situations throughout your life and if you don't do it you've got poorer childhood <laughs> that's the end of the story so when you're down there and you've got him pinned down or him you and you want to the ring was being kept safe by by Dubais. Yeah, we we normally like put Dubé's down Dubais or, or, or Liverpool or uh, Manchester United. Maybe I asked because remember. when when you kindly said that you'd be happy to come on the big interview, the H word was mentioned. You know, you said that if, if I could keep you off the subject of the mighty high beats, I'd, right, I'd yeah. be doing well. <laughs> but like. Um, and next Scotland captain, next great leader of Manchester United, Dan Fletcher tells me, you're a bit of a United man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got into United probably when I was like 10, 11. I mean, they were the best team, mm. so it was probably easy to, you know, as a kid to, to gravitate towards them. But, you know, as I got older, obviously, like, Sir Alex Ferguson being a huge, um, you know, Scottish icon, um, like the football that they played as well was just, was so exciting to to watch, wasn't it? And that like that was entertainment. Like you knew when you went to Old Trafford or you're watching Man United on TV, you you were going to be entertained. And with Darren, I mean, in my sort of lifetime, or certainly since I've been aware of football, I mean, Scotland's not really had a like real world class player, uh, which is a shame. But he's like achieved everything, hasn't he? I mean, he played for. Played at Man United a long time, won pretty much everything there is to, to win in the game. And for me, he's like, that's who you would look up to. If you were a, a kid wanting to be a, be a footballer from Scotland, he was the guy you would, you would look to because he was by far the most successful uh, Scottish player we had and, you know, playing in one of like, the best teams of all time. Even at that age, when you begin to discover Manchester United, you saw the fact that Alex Ferguson, the leader, their, um, their general, the fact that he was Scottish... That at least engaged your interest, maybe began, be, became a source of inspiration. It was important to you he was a Scot. Yeah, it's just like he's, he's one of us, isn't he? He's been, you know, taking on the world and doing amazing things at, at Manchester United. And, you know, just like his drive and his passion and determination to, you know, be successful and bring the whole club in the direction that he wants it to go and making these guys, you know, you know, go to battle for him every day and, you know, fight to the death to, to win. Like, it's an amazing talent to have that. I mean, how many people can say that they've, that they've really, really got that? Um, and, you know, they just, like, they won everything, didn't they? It was just, it was, you know, it was an incredible time for, for English football. And, you know, a lot of people, I bet, like, hate him, don't they? But that's because he's so successful and I bet every single person that didn't like him would have wanted them to manage their club. For sure. And I think that he represents an old Scotland where he was driven and it was, it was relentless. There was something about his upbringing. But to take more than that and look at what you said, to be able to motivate a group, you've spent your life having to either maybe not motivate yourself, but drive yourself, be at it all the time, yeah, be yeah. the best all the time, which I'm guessing, although you've done it successfully, it isn't an easy art. 
to be at it all the time personally. So if yeah. you can transfer that looking back at him now and thinking that he had to do that for a first-team squad of 20 or 25, another 15 or 16 staff, yeah. then the youngsters, the board above him, and given your achievements in sport, you'd be able to begin to think about the size of his achievement. Yeah, I mean, from, from my point of view, it's a lot easier just to look after one person. <laughs> yeah, just look after myself and, um, you know, each day prepare as, as best I can for, for my matches. And, you know, if we don't win, we're not getting paid, are we? So, so for us, there's always that, that motivation to be out there practicing, trying to get better, um, develop your game and yeah, get out there to and and win matches basically because if you're not then you're not making money, your rankings drop in and you're not able to play in the tournaments that um currently I'm able to play in. So when just let's because people listening in um love their football, at what stage do you remember noticing Manchester United or or saying that's the player I like, that's the brand of football. Boy what a match that was. Can you pick out this the era, if not the minute, who's playing in the first teams that you began to watch? Like Bruce Pallister, Paul Parker, um, Paul Innes, Mark Hughes, Kincelska as well. Presumably Cantona. Yeah, yeah. And they're he just was... beginning to win the league then in this stage. Yeah, yeah. And then I think when I was like, when I really started to become into to get right into it was was obviously when there was like the class of 92 um all those guys were playing young guys doing brilliant things becoming an amazing team yeah and of course like at that time you know sky sports was getting big in football Mm. so you know you could start to follow it all the time and um i just loved it like just loved the fact that they were just you know they're always at teams they were always wanting the ball they were always wanting to make things happen it was always like you know attack 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 and you know the belief in the team that you know good things would would always happen to them and they would find a way to to make it happen to score that goal that you know in Fergie time that everyone always always talks about you know and they would just they would do what had to be done and they did it in a way that was was exciting to to watch yeah what was um, football for you growing up? Because you, you, you were good at it and you enjoyed multi-sports. That's what we were talking about before the tape started. That it was by no means tennis all the way. Football, you played a bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I played like, you know, with friends. Played a lot actually with, with, my, uh, with my dad's kind of group of friends. Playing five-a-side football, that sort of stuff. Um, at what age were you? Probably sort of. Probably from like 15 maybe. Started to play quite a lot with them. Um, I mean, I always enjoyed it. I mean, who doesn't enjoy playing five-side football? Like, it's, it's brilliant, isn't it? Um, I mean, I was never like in danger of, you know, signing for Hibs and, you know, scoring 20 goals a season for them and getting them into the Champions League group stage or anything like that. But, you this know, I just, dream I loved it. Now. This is a recurring <laughs> Probably, dream, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You didn't just pluck yeah. that out of nowhere, either. <laughs> what did you do? What was, what, like... What was your touch? Left foot, right foot? And what I was, did you like I was on the right, ball? I was right-footed. Right-footed. Yeah, um, but not afraid to take it onto the left foot if that's what uh, the situation demanded of me. Right. Um, Where were the courts? Dunblane? Yeah, we put a bit at, uh, at Dunblane. I mean, like, we would go... 
like me and and Andy and and our friends, we would always walk over to to our part of the local park just next to where my grand lives, and we would just play like heathers and volleys there. They had like two big trees, yeah. and we would just yeah we would just go to town like we'd get back from school, just go over and and play and yeah enjoy oh. it. But then like now you can't play ball games there because the the resident stuff complain about noise, but it's just sad, you know. It's sad. It's a Everyone's crime. like eighty it's years old there as well. They probably can't even hear it, but they just they see the kids and they just think, nah, don't don't want that. There's yeah. a campaign which in Aberdeen, all the no ball games are being torn down and reduced by yes ball games everywhere. Oh, that's cool. City. Yeah, it's it's the I don't know if you've read it, but in the in the when I went back in Chabby's lifestyle, he lived in Terrassa. They talked really, there was a brilliant TV programme we talked emotionally, just about the same way as you're doing, about having played in the town square and there were flowers and fast, you know, busy roads and all, and it's keep the ball, start, because A, it was concrete, you don't yeah. want to fall down, B, the flower beds, you get your arse kicked if you put, yeah, okay, there yeah. was a road, so the keep the ball started there, and he went back to the same square in Terrassa where he lives, and there was a big, you know, this World Cup winner, you know, his sight had been taken yeah. away and Prohibido, you know, and now there's a recognition in Spain that that can't be right too. But when you were doing that, and when you were putting that, was the purpose to um, win, or did you? You said it was crosses and volleys and headers. Did you do it again and again till you could do something spectacularly? And yeah, I mean, it wasn't. Yeah, for us, it wasn't about and... who's winning. It's like, yeah, who's scoring the best volley yeah, in it, or yeah. overhead kick, or you know, crossing it in and you know, bullet header or whatever. Um, I, I never liked going in goals because I, I was like hopeless at diving. So I was like always kind of determined not to to end up there. I hate putting the gloves on, like big sweaty gloves, your hands. Yeah, like, afterwards, I wasn't yeah. wasn't into that at all. Yeah, didn't like getting my clothes dirty or my knees covered in mud. Like wasn't wasn't for me. And I remember like you, you know you get the, you get a new football and you know we'd be walking over to the park like no chance that's being bounced on the ground or anything. That's like I want it to be as new for as long as possible. Yeah. What is it made of? Wasn't a leather ball, was it? No, like mitre, yeah. yeah. Mitre, Adidas, yeah. But we, yeah, we used to, we just used to love it. Like we had a great setup because we walk two minutes to the the sports club, tennis courts, and the golf club, and just across the road was a park. So we could do like we could do whatever we ever we wanted really. And in like this, this summer, it's brilliant in Scotland because the it's light till half ten at night, and it you can. You can play and play and play. So we had we we used to well we loved growing up there. Yeah, it's brilliant. So you, you, like there's genes running through because you. your dad was a decent footballer and your grandfather was a good uh, footballer, right? I don't know about my dad being a decent footballer, but my grandpa he was. Uh, yeah. What now? <laughs> he's all right. <laughs> what? what? He still plays five a side now, and he's like sixty odd years old. That's still not gets, bad. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does all right. Yeah. Did you play like him, or, or did you take after your grandfather, or what? Um, more movement than my dad, I think. Oh, this is this is. I mean, I I I I've never seen my grandpa play, uh, so I I don't know what uh, what maybe his uh, best attributes were, but obviously been talked about. It, so. The legend goes that he he was keener on tennis and didn't like heading the ball, like granddad. But like you've turned out, he was a professional footballer. Yeah, yeah, That's he played for um, played for Sterling Albion. He was at Hibs for a bit. Yeah, he was obviously yeah, he was obviously a decent player, like centre half. And, yeah. And was it was it down to him? I mean, we've got to mention Hibs, I suppose. <laughs> Back <laughs> in the big leagues now. 
Now, listen, I, I, I'm old enough to remember when they were any good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you should listen to, I don't know if you listen to Neil Lennon talking, but he's, he's a smashing talker, great fun podcast, and um, good singer too, so that one's worth a listen, definitely. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, why Hibs? Take well, us back to... Well, my, because, because my, my grandpa played for, for them, so like all of my mum's side of the family, they, they supported Hibs. And we we used to get taken along all all the time when we were when we were kids. Um, yeah, we'd go to Easter Road or well, in Scotland doesn't matter. I mean, we lived so centrally, so to drive to most of the grounds was, you know, within an hour you could get to pretty much everywhere except um, except Pataudry probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you'd follow them on the road sometimes. Yeah, we'd go to like go to St Johnston, go to Dundee. Um, Airdrie, been to Airdrie. Um, at Falkirk's like twenty minutes. Maybe not to the old firm clubs when you were young. No, nah, we or? went. We went. Yeah, we went to we went to Rangers game once uh, at Ibrox, and and I started crying when uh, when the the players ran out because of the noise. I wasn't used to the noise, yeah, yeah. and just like just got me. Um, yeah, I was only like nineteen at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was probably like seven or, or eight or something, and just like, yeah, it just uh, yeah, it wasn't wasn't ready for that. And uh, I mean, Hibs probably got humped as well. But where are the ones? Because you know, we share a player way before you. But Joe Hart, my first memory of Hibs is not because um, Eddie Turnbull who won the Cup in 1970 for us, the manager, he was a great, great yeah. Hibs legend. He, he, he'd been at Hibs before I was born. But Joe Harper, playing for us, went to, who's our, you know, our God, just our, our best yeah. ever player, you, a Maranello or I don't know who it is now, or Keith Wright or whoever Keith you are. Yeah, yeah. And when he didn't work out Everton, he went to Hibs. And boy, I grew up hating Hibs because <laughs> King Joey was there and you were looking at your watch until we got him back. And when he came back, man, it was heaven. So yeah, I was twelve, thirteen, fourteen. You know, you know, I'd never known happiness like it when we got when we got him back. So my first ones were Arthur Graham, Joe Harper, whatever. So when the, the players who really mattered to you when you start following, who, who are the guys when you go there going like we're at Folk, we're at St Johnson, don't want to lose the guy who'll get us through today is. Uh, I mean, Frank Soze was probably the best player I Whoa. saw at playing for Hibs. Russell Latipe. He was he was great when he was there. He knew um, what the ball was for, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. These guys were were proper proper players, um, and we had. I mean, before that, I mean, guys like Michael O'Neill. He was great at Hibs because uh, we used to sit in like the family stand, so we were like really close to the to the pitch, and he was obviously a winger, so we used he would always be like right next to us, um, and he was he was really skillful. Uh, Mickey Weir. Um, like Darren Jackson as well. Like good footballer, yeah, actually. Really good footballer. Good player. But, I mean, played for Scotland. What was the experience of Easter Road and Leith and getting to the game like? Because, <laughs> you know, that's something that's embellished in my memory as a youngster. It felt like, you know, a palace doesn't even... You know, Pataudry felt like heaven. Yeah. When I was a kid. Used to love going. Um, I just always remember having to, like, park and then, you know, it always seemed like a long walk to get to the to get to the stadium, um, but yeah, just like getting there, going through the turnstiles, you know, trying to get like your pack of crisps or whatever and your drink and yeah, I remember that stuff. Um, yeah, it's just, it was just 
great fun, like getting up and on a Saturday morning, getting ready to go for the game, driving through, um, you know, see your team. It's your team, isn't it? That's what's uh, that's what's exciting about it. You know, win, lose, or draw, like you you still love them, you still want them to do great, and you know you'll be back, you'll be back next week. Like even if they lose five 0 like life goes on, doesn't it? it just uh, um, keep scoring and yeah, just used to. Used to love it, yeah. So not, that, not when Airdrie came though, because Airdrie always beat us, and they had like loads of ex Hearts players in their team as well. So that was, that was, uh, that was always a rough one. That was like the ultimate bogey team, and then it kind of became Livingston for a while as well. Could never beat them. Hamden as well, like lost them a few times there. I was going to say as well. Let's we need to look at some cup finals. Um, Twenty twelve will just just draw a complete veil over. There were six goals in the match shared evenly between two Edinburgh, <laughs> yeah, Edinburgh John Collins won the, the League Cup. I, I don't know where... I, I was there when I they won in 1990. No. Yeah, yeah, I was there. The yeah. Keith Wright. On the, in the terraces, yeah, when we beat uh, Dunfermline. Dunfermline, yeah. yeah. John we, Budgie Burridge in goals. Yeah, yeah, we had to... We had to I got taken away before the... Just before the game finished because there was like so many... I mean, we were really... I mean, I was only four or five years old then. Um, and of course it was going to I guess start kicking off and everyone's celebrating it was all uh, standing then so we uh, we left before it, before the final whistle went just to avoid all that are, they, are the memories of the day do you think imagine memories or do you think there's because when you talk about standing yeah. the size you must have had what, what were you yeah, five yeah I mean for? I kind of yeah we're because yeah, those terraces moved you moved yeah I mean 20-30 feet sometimes yeah we, I remember it I, I kind of remember sort of being like Perched on the, like on the, the barrier, railing. Yeah, yeah, the railing, yeah. I mean, I don't remember anything about the game at all. I just remember kind of being in the stands. It kind of takes us up to uh, the year before last. Where were you when the hundred and whatever year? Who do? <laughs> yeah, well, I was I was on court practicing at the French Open, and um, was just kind of like was following it on my on my phone you know, when we were taking, like, water breaks, and I knew it was 2-2, and then one of the Scottish journalists, he came, like, trudging over, uh, and I was like, Stu, Stu, what's the score? And he goes, uh, he goes, you don't know? I said, no, I don't know. He goes, it's 3-2 to the Hibs. He's like, they, they scored in the last minute. He was a Rangers fan. Um, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, no way, because, you know, it's like, it's Hibs. We always guff it. You know, when we get to Hamden or whatever, there's so many bad experiences over the years that um you know to finally do it like I mean I would love to have been there and, and a lot of my family were but as I always say like I'd rather have missed the game in Hibs 1 than be there and potentially lose so that was was uh, it vital it was a tournament to that you had to be at yeah like, it was Grand no, Slam yeah there's so no was, little devil in your mind no, saying no. I, I'm just gonna go no and and look, to be honest, probably deep down didn't think we were going to do it either. <laughs> yeah, 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 fair enough. Yeah, no, 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 I know the feeling. And so when do you get to see the goal? And then, I mean, listen, I'm a romantic, total romantic, Jamie, and I was only teasing before about Hibs. I see the attraction over the years. And over the years, I've enjoyed watching them an awful lot. But at the end, when everybody's singing Sunshine on Leith, for me, that's one of the most iconic moments in Scottish football. Yeah. Maybe in Scottish sport in, in my lifetime. Yeah. It's literally a story. I kind of feel... It's a great song, though, isn't it? It's so, like... 
so well known to or so associated with with Hibs, yeah. My my grandpa, my mum said he was he was crying when they when they were singing it. Like he was just he was just loving it. But yeah. it was emotional. Uh, yeah, I bet it. I bet I, it was. But, yeah. No, but even I mean, I've watched it like on social media and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it always like yeah, it gets the gets the hairs on your back of the neck going. That's true. Well, only in Scotland, it's Hibs against Rangers. They don't particularly like each other. Yeah. Rangers are favoured. It's a late winner. A last, almost a last minute winner. Fans, whoever fans it was, come on the pitch. Yeah. There's a bit of a ramming. Yeah. It's very Scottish. <laughs> they all get heard it back. And I saw you sing song now. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you only in Scotland. Yeah. And then it's like poetry. It's like some sort of social, I don't know what it was. And beauty of the moment, the perfect song. And it's not really a football song either. And the players are there just, it wasn't even the players with the cup who took centre stage. It was the fans behind the yeah, goals. Okay, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, like, I obviously wasn't there. I would have loved to have been there, having <laughs> looked back and seen the result. But I'm sure for like, load. Of, I mean, every single Hibs fan. I mean, there's been a lot of pain in in Hamden and cup finals, cup semi finals and stuff. Like to finally get over the finish line. Like to beat Rangers as well. It's always nice. Like, yeah, it's not going to get better. But then. <laughs> Then that is it. I mean, it's an incredible moment for the club. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. The thing that really interests me is that um, when you spend your life watching or talking about Scottish sport, we seem to have, in general, this gene about quite liking failure or at least <laughs> liking to glorify in nearly. Yeah, yeah. Brit- well, but Britain, Britain in general, I think, is, is like that. I don't think it's just a. It's just a Scottish thing. Um, I think, yeah, I think British, the British culture is kind of that way inclined, unfortunately, but... You immediately recognise what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I mean, people, well, they love that story, don't they? Like, the, you know, tried really hard, came so close, but ultimately, you know, it was all, it was all in vain. And, you know, the paper's all right about it. And, yes, (laughs) I don't know, like... We're not really good at sort of celebrating winners in our 
culture, I, d- I don't think. Can I ask you then, are we good at setting out to be winners, even before we try to celebrate winners? Is, I think what I'm building up to ask, and I'm not looking for university theory, but you, your brother, your mum, amongst others, and you mentioned Darren too, clearly buck the trend, buck the trend for a lot of reasons, not simply because of the success, but because of attitude, because of perfectionism, because of ambition, because of mentality. But I wonder, and I genuinely mean it's tossed up to be kicked away if you disbelieve it, is it about us having some inbuilt, inbuilt gene that we actually really like the romance of, oh, we nearly did it, we were brilliant, and then somebody got in the way, the referee, the wind, somebody fell over, somebody missed a penalty kick... Or is it that we actually don't set out in the first place to prepare well enough with the right mentality, the right belief? There probably is a bit of like small time mentality, I think. Um, like f- for us, but for us growing up, like I don't know, maybe we we just felt it. Um, but like we, or certainly I did. I shouldn't say we, but but I did. Like, but then maybe that was just the way that. It was sold to us by maybe maybe by my mum that everything is against you. So you know we didn't have like a. I mean, up in Scotland, trying to be a tennis player is 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 almost impossible to do it. And you know the setup is against us mm-hmm. to to survive and and go on and do um, you know become professional professional tennis players. Um, and you know we probably grew up with that and you know we're always fighting to you know to get ahead and you know maybe you know we don't want to you know these people they don't want us to to be successful they don't want us to win and you know maybe like we develop like a sort of you know a steel and um a, a determination to to succeed and kind of show those people that you know what like yeah we're we're better than you we're from doesn't matter we're from scotland whatever we'll We'll show you, and it was probably from a young age, you know, like we had to always travel down to England to compete mm-hmm. because we didn't have uh, opportunities up in Scotland. There weren't tournaments, there weren't enough players. Um, so, you know, every weekend we'd be driving down to England, we'd finish school, get in the car, drive down to England four or five hours, compete on the weekend, drive back home, go to school, train, and then Friday do it again. That's what we had to do. So it was a lot harder for us than it was for the for the English kids, that's that's for sure. Um, and I think almost in a way, like, the strong w- will survive mm. in that situation because those who don't have the kind of desire to keep doing that, because it's a huge commitment, not just from, from us as, as kids, but from your parents as well, yeah. like, and the coaches to, um, you know, you've given up so much time to do that. And, and both our parents, they were doing full-time jobs, um, and then, obviously, on the weekends, driving down to England to watch us play tennis. So um, you need that commitment. And, you know, I think we were we were sold on the idea that, you know, this is, it is difficult. You know, we're not getting any help. It's not going to be easy for you, but, you know, let's, let's just do it. Let's just show everyone that, you know, we are better than them. We can, we can be players and... You know, I think that did help develop, you know, certain character traits that we probably needed to be successful in, in professional sport, I think. A couple of things spring to mind. When when you're putting so much into it, I and mean, you can see your parents putting so much into it, does it make you more determined not to 
give less than your best. Would you, you know, the drive back when yeah, you haven't I done... Mean, I th- yeah, look, I've... Now, obviously, I'm older and grown up, like, and you, you're a bit more aware of, you know, the sacrifices that your parents made. Like, you know, I'll have gone down to tournaments and, you know, not given my best effort or, you know, acted like a twat or whatever and just, you know, been a disaster. And, you know, and I'm thinking, like, oh, my God, I wonder what my mum and my dad was thinking at that time. Like, how could you do that after all the effort that they've gone to get you to you know hull for the weekend to play a you know to play a junior tournament like it's it is remarkable but I obviously at the time and you're kind of doing it you're not really you're not thinking about that that side of things you there was a stage where I saw you saying and I just always trust that the, the quote is true I think I did have a great talent to do good things in tennis but it took me a long time to understand how best to use it to understand what it took to be a performer, to turn up each day and to do what needed to be done to perform well on that particular day. I think when you're talking about like something like that in any sport, particularly when you get to your elite level, I don't think that's a really easy thing to learn. No, I mean, I'm, I'm 31 now. I've been playing tennis since I was four years old and probably only in the last sort of two, three years probably really started to understand what it takes to be a performer and um you know to do what you need to do regardless of the situation and just you know stay in the moment just play point by point not worrying about the finish line or what's happened the points before or you know maybe I've just lost match points or I've missed an easy smash to you know I'm now break point down or whatever just it's been just park it and just, okay, now stepping up to the baseline, play my serve, going to come to the end, going to play my volley. And then after that, like what happens, happens. Um, and it's a really, really, really difficult skill to to master, to learn. Um, it certainly took me long enough. I mean, obviously, you know, still going to have days where, you know, get a bit panicky or, you know, mind's racing and, you know, start getting stressed out about this or that, the other thing. Um, but I think, like, one of the main reasons that I've been able to be successful the last sort of two, three years is is because I've been able to do that, been able to put in a good, solid performance day in, day out. Of course, some days you'll play great, some days you'll play, play bad. Um, but for the most part of the year, you'll kind of play good and it's finding a way on those days to win as opposed to lose it's going to make or break your career see it might be because i'm i'm not that bright but it seems to me that in what you've just described and in, in any sports person at your level there's a real dichotomy because by going over the the points the match the day that you haven't done well by rehashing it assimilating it breaking it down working on it you learn you grow but equally you must in a point or in a rally, or in a match, or in a set, or that day-by-day thing, you also have to learn to just close the steel vault and shut that learning process. The same learning process, where you can assimilate the errors and grow and change, is sometimes the thing that you have to just lock out, as you've just described completely. So knowing which day is a day to just lock it out, and which which day is a day to stop and learn and grow that. If I described that correctly, is that what you have to do sometimes? Yeah, I, th- I think like 
in in the moment yeah you're you're out there and you're competing in it and it's it's happening like you you have to sometimes just put the brakes on and and yeah like I said just park it enough is enough it's five all if you're not playing good and it's still five all then your opponent can't be playing that good either otherwise you'd be getting your your ass kicked so you know it's awareness of of that um and you know I think someone like um like Nadal he's probably the, the best example of that um and that his sort of focus and intensity from start to finish like it never wavers and you know if you turned on the tv and you saw him you wouldn't know what the score was you wouldn't know if he's winning or losing just by the look that he's projecting on the court um and that's a massive um skill to have I think and you know I, I wouldn't say I've always been been the best at that and sometimes still have you know rough days when things aren't going so well and you know you turn up and you know you're stressed and you let the crowd know that but in a way it's like bluffing you're bluffing to Mm. to your opponent you're bluffing to the crowd and I mean Federer is amazing like that as well like he could hit the worst shot ever but he always looks like he's in total control of what what he's doing almost like yeah I meant to do that shot you know that's (laughs) it's all part of the part of the show and it's a huge talent to have and you know it's probably the biggest difference between being a champion and winning grand slams or being like 20 in the world I think Beyond the, the, the last point and the lift of the trophy and the check, when you win at the US, when you win at Australia, when you win Wimbledon, what, what, what's, what's it like? What does it do to you? I don't know. I mean, I, like when we won in, in Australia, it was our first Grand Slam. Like, I mean, I was, like, I was really happy. I was kind of, I was probably relieved a bit as well because I'd lost in the final of the previous two Grand Slams and that match was like, almost in the back of my head, was like, like, you can't lose again, you know, that's going to be three in a row, will you ever win one? Like, you've obviously got doubts, but that that was probably more relief. Um, I think, like, I was super happy when we won the US Open um, because we'd played some, like, amazing tennis in the semi-finals and then in the final, and I don't know, it just, it, I don't know, it just felt like it was a bigger achievement uh, for us. And I was, yeah, I was, just, I was super happy. But then I like, came off the court, drug tested, get some food, go to the airport, fly home, because we were doing Davis Cup. So it wasn't like there was time to, like, you know, relax and, and enjoy it. And I think that's sometimes a problem in, in tennis because the season just keeps going and going and going. There's no break. Like, you don't always have a chance to reflect on your your wins and just be in that moment enjoying it for for what it is like that because it is like it is amazing achievement um but you know it's like the next day the tournament start again and everyone starts in the first round so it's it's a weird kind of uh you might you might take two three hours of enjoyment out of a grand slam win potentially yeah to to be honest in the in the, the the times that i've won it's kind of been like that i mean in australia we finished at like one in the morning came off court straight into press conference then get uh, drug tested, um, you know, pee, blood, get a little bit of food that was kind of left over at the courts, and then we left the courts at like three in the morning. And by that time, I was like smoked, you know, because all your adrenaline had worn off and well, yeah. just so, wanted to go to bed. To wait, be so shouldn't, shouldn't there be precisely the right type of food for that um, recovery? 
you should be Cham- in physio. It was champagne, I think. That was the, yeah, listen, the recovery you. they were offering. Yeah. Okay, you're talking to somebody who might vote for that, but <laughs> that's why I'm like me. And that's, you know, you, you go differently, you're elite, so it should be the right nutrients to, to replenish you. You're, like you say, you're on a plane, you're travelling, you should have a physio. Should yeah, yeah. Done after that? yeah, probably. Hams, yeah. tears, sprains, no. Yeah, I mean, I guess. For, I mean, I guess in that situation, it's the end of the tournament, and it's like, okay, what, whatever, you know, gonna gonna enjoy this. But I mean, normally, yeah, once we once we finish playing, you know, straight on the bike, cool down, uh, get some food in you as quick as you can, uh, massage or or stretching, ice baths maybe as well. Um, because you know you're always thinking about the next, the next day, the next, uh, the next challenge, and all that. It's all part of the preparation, yeah, for that for that next match, and and also like for longevity of your career. Because if you're if you're looking after yourself every day, then you're gonna you're gonna squeeze out more more years on on the tour for for sure. And you can see now in tennis, like the guys, they're lasting a lot longer because of all that sort of sports science side of it. Um, yeah, they're looking after themselves well, way better than probably. What was before. Rafa saying the other day that the doctors were saying to him seven years ago? You, you know, you might not finish the season. Rafa was saying that basically he, he's been carrying a, a short physique because of his injuries for for, for ten years ago. It would have been over. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, medicine, science, all that stuff. It's it's changing all the time. People are learning more and more things, new things. Um, and you know, guys can they can recover recover better from injuries or surgeries. Um, you know, I'm sure like thirty years ago, if you did your ACL or whatever, that was probably you done, wasn't it? But nowadays, yeah. people are back in like five six months, ready to go again, um, and no no loss of like speed or explosion or anything like that. So it just shows you like how how much better all that stuff is. And it will keep advancing as well. It's just the way the world's going. One of the things I try to do when we talk to the elite footballers and, and they join in this discussion, particularly the ones who are playing Champions League, European tournament, trying to win the league, whether it be Germany, England, Spain, it's, it's the relentlessness is there, but the, the, the burnout in terms of travel, in terms of no rest, no social time... Mm. The burnout in terms of probably too little family time, lack of sleep. Yeah. See, I, when when footballers start going on about that, I don't. You just won't buy no, it. No, I think it's absolutely because I'm trying to yeah. let the listener buy into it now. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I'm not pull the carpet. I'm not having okay, that. Okay, make at a all, case. Yeah. Make a case. Oh, because I mean, I'm I'm on the road thirty weeks a year. Yeah. So that's thirty weeks a year that I'm away from my family. Footballers, if they go to, okay, they're playing Champions League. Which is how many group games? Six group games. Mm-hmm. So that's three, two nights that are away, probably. Usually two, yeah. Yeah, so that's 12 nights that are away from their family. And I'm away for at least 210. Mm-hmm. Who um, hurt you, Jamie? Who? And, which, and which Champions League <laughs> No, no, Some no, Champions no. League footballer had a little no, thing no, once. No, no, but a lot, of, a lot of footballers say come out of that, that stuff. And the travel aspect for me, that's. I'm not buying that at all. I, people won't understand, I think, that if, you know, jet lag, yeah. loneliness, boredom, yeah. you're in a special art because you're lucky at the moment you're York and Cole. Okay. But partners in football tend not to like each other. They got yeah. the pitch, they do the thing, and they genuinely, actually, normally, 
can't stand each other. Yeah. Now, in, in your game, you have to go through a lot of partners because natural change will happen, fallouts will happen, form will happen, injury will happen, whatever. But it's an extra burden to carry on the road if you're number one uh, doubles in the world because you have to get on. You have to be at the same level of form. Yeah. You have to want the same things. I, I would say that aside from playing and, and, and winning and the mentality... It's a big burden you carry around to be at your level in tennis because of all those things. Yeah, I mean... Or it's a test. Yeah, I mean, for the... I mean, in terms of getting on with your partner, that's it's kind of key in a way because, you know, you spend all day with, the, that, with that guy because you're on the same schedule. So, you know, you're waking up at the same time, you're going to breakfast the same time, we're going to the courts at the same time, we're warming up, together we're in the gym together then we're waiting around for a match together then we're playing our match which obviously you know a lot of stressful moments there difficult moments ups and downs ebbs and flows of the match and you know if you're at each other's necks it's a lot harder to get through those um to get through to get through those matches and you know win basically which is you know that's the goal at the end of the at the end of the day um i mean i would say in football it's it's easier because there's more players, so you know, diluted. Um, and I mean, on on a football pitch is much bigger than a tennis court, so um, you know you can be far apart. And maybe you don't, you're not stopping after each point to communicate with with your partner. I mean, if you know, if we're sent, if we're centre forwards, and you know, I take a shot and put the ball out of field into Rosette or whatever. You know, you might scream at me from twenty yards, but then we just run back to the. If you keep shouting at you, you're halfway not even listening. Yeah, exactly. And the way yeah. they speak, you probably won't be able to understand them yeah. anyway. And I bet are... a lot of players that are on the opposite side from the field from the manager, they probably <laughs> not listen at all, and they're just like whatever. <laughs> yeah. Right, Michael and Neil change sides whenever. <laughs> if I remember correctly, if I understand it correctly, which I usually do, it was a Scot who took football to Brazil. But since that, in the hundred and fifty years since Scotland and Brazil, it's not a particularly normal mix. No, no, and I'm not talking uh, about the distance. It's like totally different culture, isn't it? So what the hell's going on, man? <laughs> Tell us a little bit about Bruno. Has he got a touch? You played football. Uh, you know what? Football. We have played football a few times. Um, normally, when we're at events and he's like the local football team. Uh, so, like when we were in Shanghai last year, we had uh, Sven Goran Eriksson's team. They brought in Hulk. Yeah, and, yeah uh, Another Brazilian guy. Um, and we played like football tennis with them, uh, but yeah, Bruno Bruno can play. Yeah, he's got uh, he's got some skills. I would say. Yeah. How, how did Hulk do? He was a beast, man. That is. guy is an absolute unit. He's kind of like an oblong. I've yeah. Interviewed him up close, and usually he's so in, strong. In my right? feeling, when you look at footballers on the pitch, they look big, and they come up close, and you're like, no, nah, that's okay. He comes up close and you're like, yeah. you know, you ask the questions. I'm not going to say yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a beast, yeah. It's funny because, I mean, I don't think they knew they were going to have to do it. And they were, they'd turn up all, um, you know, dressed up. I think he might even have been, he had like suit trousers and, you know, these uh, like really designery shoes on and in a, in a shirt. And of course, then he's got like... You know, there's a lot of people watching, and then you know, I'm sure they're expecting like a show, you know. <laughs> and he was, I think he was a bit. Uh, you boys turned him over a couple of times. Yeah, I think he was feeling, he was feeling it because obviously he couldn't like really control the ball because of his shoes that he was wearing. And I think, uh, I mean, he didn't speak English. Bruno was speaking to him. I think he said he, 
<laughs> felt like you got stitched up a bit there. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so, like, let's say there had to be right, really important some sort of ATP five-a-side team. Okay. Football, right? Clearly, you're in it. Absolutely, you'd, yeah. You'd Pull, right it, pulling the strings, yeah. Pulling motion. Orchestrating. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe double Murray value potentially. Andy, yeah, yeah, got to be. Yeah, I think he's playing. He's playing up front. Yeah, reasonable footballer. Yeah, he's yeah, and he's good. Yeah, he knows how to like shield the ball. You know, it's not it's not easy to get it to get it off him. Elbows? Uh, nah, but he'll like you know like good old fashioned centre forward. Like they'll use their their backside. Yeah. To, you know that Double sort of stuff. Style. Yeah, he knows his stuff. See, so, listen, you you both seem to be in the five side team. What this um. Wait, I'm just looking at it. There's a new Italian coming through. Maldini. Yeah, he's playing today in a tournament. Yeah. <laughs> 5.30, incredible. What the hell? So he, so he won. Um, quite often tournaments do that. They have like a, a local tournament and the winner gets a wild card in, into the event. And he won with his, with his coach. So now he's playing challenger level, which is like one level below the main tour. And he's playing tonight on centre court. Okay, yeah. so, so many questions. Like, would you, would you pick a challenger tournament just just to make sure that he got a doubles match with, uh, with Paolo Maldini just for the? I, feel, I mean, I, I I I wouldn't. I don't think I'd want to watch it. Really, I'd feel I'd feel bad for him. And they'd put him on center court. Like, there'll be a ton of people come out to watch. I'm sure it's in Milan as well. Like, it's his city, and he's going to get turned over, <laughs> which is a shame. I I hope I I honestly hope he doesn't. Um, and it's a it's a great story, but I I, I feel. I feel bad for him, yeah. Do you think there's any degree to which they've just slipped him an easy one because it's it's Paolo and he smells good and looks good? And because <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I mean... If he was playing a, in a Challenger tournament in Czechoslovakia or Poland, I'd say, well, he's probably had to work for that one. But yeah, yeah. it's Italy, you know, it's local. No, but I mean, one of my friends, he lives in Milan and I and I text him when I saw the, the news about it on social media and I, and I send it to him and he sent me back a photo that he'd been playing with him that, that morning. Um, and he was uh, he was like super excited about it. So I'm sure he'll be down there watching them. That's three of you in the five side team. You got two more slots. I mean, I to pick my mates. I think uh, I'd pick Johnny Marry, who he won Wimbledon a few years ago. He just retired, but he's a, he was proper footballer. He's he's really good. And actually, probably my my coach Alan, who is like the fastest 38 year old in the world for sure. Um, he would. Uh, He'd get in the team, yeah. Seems might decent. not be very good, but we'd be, we'd have a good time though. Listen, that's the main part. Yeah, though. definitely, yeah. Jamie Murray, thank you very much indeed. No, thanks for having me. What a pleasure. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed Graham's chat with Jamie Murray. For more exclusive big interviews, including Rafa van der Vaart, Wedley King, and next month's chat with Robbie Keane, plus over eight hours of ad-free content every month, join our social club at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter.